0: $5 minimum balance required. Are you working? What kind of work are you doing? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did What a kick. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! welcome into the punt and pass podcast i'm your host drew butler usually joined by my co-host aaron murray but aaron is not here we have some very special news to kick this episode of punt and pass off with and that's congratulations to aaron murray and his amazing wife Sharon Murray, they welcomed in their first son to the world on Tuesday morning. That's right, Maddox Robert Murray was born June 16th, a healthy 7.7 pounds, 20 and a half inches long. Congratulations, my man Murray. There's really nothing better, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, our parents, our fathers— It is the single best job in the world, so Aaron is not with me on this episode. Congratulations to him from the entire Punt and Pass family. We are happy to tell you that Maddox is healthy, Sharon is healthy, they are back home, and they are ready to take on the never-ending journey that is parenthood. Great Great news to start off this episode of the Punt and Pass podcast. Send him congratulations on social media, at Murray 11 on both Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler, and we are at Punt and Pass. Tons to talk about today. We did not have a Punt and Pass episode yesterday. We do have one today. So much news has broken in the world of college football over the past 48 hours, so let's dive right into it, get everybody caught up, and it seems like more and more is coming out in regards to what will happen on the playing field this fall, and that is fantastic. A huge thank you to everyone for their response to Tuesday's episode. I dove into the Dabo Sweeney t-shirt controversy. I dove into the Mike Gundy Chuba Hubbard controversy that happened. And I really enjoyed talking with people, hearing their viewpoints, interacting with them on social media about what they thought about my perspective. I enjoyed hearing about their perspectives. And like I said in the podcast, 2020, as Peter Burns from SEC Network says, should be about conversations and not cancellations. And I'm glad to have a conversation with you Right here. Yeah, even since that podcast, Mike Gundy has come out. He put a strong worded apology on social media, said he was, quote, unquote, a dumbass for wearing the OAN shirt, said he had very productive talks with his teammates, with his players in regards to why the shirt was offensive to them and everything going on in our society right now. Just scrolling through the headlines. Mike Gundy's going to have a tough couple of weeks. He has been now accused of, during his playing days at Oklahoma State, of using racial slurs. Clearly, that is not acceptable by any imagination, so he's going to have to continue to face this head-on and see what happens. Paul Feinbaum came out and had very strong words about Mike Gundy wearing the shirt, and again— The funniest thing about this entire thing, you know, you could call it funny, you could not call it funny, regardless of who is talking about Mike Gundy wearing the OAN shirt, myself included. The funniest thing about it is everybody prefaces their opinion about the shirt by saying this, well, I've never seen OAN or I've never turned the channel, or I don't even know if I have the channel, but here's my XYZ opinion. And that's exactly what I did. Feinbaum said it, I've never seen OAN, but here's XYZ my opinion. Clay Travis, I've never watched OAN, but here's XYZ opinion. Every single person who gives you an opinion on why OAN is bad or good or indifferent prefaces it by saying, I've never watched it, I've never seen it. I find that to be fascinating. Crazy, right? Everybody's talking about it. Nobody has seen it. Clearly, it was deemed offensive by the players at Oklahoma State. Gundy called himself a dumbass. Gundy apologized for it. Clearly, this is not over either. We'll keep tabs on that. But, yes, I really do appreciate everybody's response To that podcast, a little bit out of the norm of what we do here on Punt and Pass, but I thought it was important just to kind of dive into it, see what everybody's thoughts were. And of course, I love the interaction on social media at Punt and Pass, at Drew Butler. How about some good news? Let's dive right into the good news. It seems like college football is going to be played this fall. There's no doubt. And during the quarantine chronicles, with many of the guests that we had, whether they were from the medical field or the media side, or the football side, I would tell them, and they would kind of agree with me, that there's going to have to be a rule change as far as the NCAA regulations on what players are allowed to do with coaches during the summer. Remember, everything got canceled in March. Student athletes went home. No spring football practice, no spring football games. They had nothing. They had absolutely nothing. And yesterday, the NCAA approved a six-week practice plan with their Division I council that will begin in July and will transition teams from the current voluntary workouts amid the coronavirus pandemic to the typical mandatory meetings and preseason camps to prepare for the 2020 season. The NCAA also voted to waive the preseason limit of 110 athletes during fall camp and allows them to describe however many athletes that they want to have. I think that's a great idea, right? When I was playing, it was 105 guys got to go to camp, and the final roster would be around 125 guys. Now you're allowed to have 110, but if you have 130 guys there doing voluntary workouts, you can bring them all to camp, which is fantastic, because if one guy were to get sick, you can quarantine him, and you'll have extra bodies to continue to conduct practice. And from a player safety perspective, this is a no-brainer on behalf of the NCAA. Yes, the guys are on campus right now doing voluntary workouts as they would during any summer semester, right? But now they're going to be able to work with the coaches, get in the film room, okay? Be on the field with the coaches. This acclimation period is going to be... Huge. One, for the quality of product that we all will be watching in the fall, and two, from the safety of the players. You can't just throw helmets and pads on these guys August 1 and say, get after it, we're back full tilt. No, no, no. Especially for a team like Georgia, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners our fans up. It's going to be great for Jamie Newman to work with Todd Munkin, for Matt Luke to work with the offensive line, for Scott Cochran to work with his special teams units. That is what is necessary, and I think it is a very, very smart move on behalf of the NCAA. I'm reading this article by Heather Dinich on ESPN.com, and she's got some great quotes in here. I think the most important thing is the timetable that this gives each respective team in regards to their start date, the ability to get on campus, to work with their coaches, to be safe and really acclimate each team, each student athlete back in to football shape. For teams that begin the season Labor Day weekend, required workouts will begin July 13th, followed by an enhanced training schedule that begins July 24th, and a normal four-week preseason camp starting August 7th. Schools that open the season on August 29th will begin required workouts July 6th. Keep in mind, normally... Student-athletes show up in early June, you do two summer semesters, your June classes and your July classes, and you really only get to work with your strength coaches. Yes, you have voluntary, mandatory workouts, that's what we like to call them in the biz, I'm giving you air quotes, voluntary, mandatory, because you better be there, but they can't hold your feet to the fire if you're not there, and then the team leaders coordinate players getting together and practicing, whether it be seven-on-seven, whether it be O-line and D-line drills, whether it be the kickers and punters kicking to returners, that's up to the team to coordinate on their own. Coaches are not allowed to be involved. Okay, so that usually is what happens June and July. Now, starting in July, coaches can work with the players. You can get on the field. They're going to have six weeks of acclimation amid this coronavirus pandemic. Clearly, clearly. They're going to have all their testing protocols and keep everybody in line to make sure that outbreaks do not happen on campus. Great news for college football, everybody. Fantastic news for college football because it's going to be played. And like I told you during the quarantine chronicles, you need to take your head out of the sand and understand that a gigantic number of academic institutions are upheld by their football programs. Simple as that. It is really as simple as that. A lot of academic institutions cannot afford not to have football this fall. Sorry, that's just the way it is. That is just the way it is, and that is a rock solid fact. So we're moving towards football in the fall. I'm really fired up. I think it's a positive thing for the players, for the coaches, and especially us, the fans. Who else had something to say about football this fall on the not so positive side? Dr. Anthony Fauci, all right, and we're going to stay away from the political lean here, but of course, after positive news comes out, somebody has to bring some negative in, and Dr. Fauci says that football needs to be played in a bubble format, like how the MLS is going to do or the NBA down in Orlando in 2020 to happen. Okay, that is not exactly possible, especially from a collegiate Standpoint, So I don't think that will end up happening. And regardless of where you sit on your viewpoint of the COVID-19 pandemic in the middle of June, um, the double talk from everybody, from the World Health Organization, to the CDC, to your local doctor, to your news anchor, has just reached a fever pitch. I mean, everybody has talked every side of every viewpoint multiple times. It's time, I think, to just say... You need to make your own personal decisions and move forward from there. You know, hopefully, from the medical field, they continue to make advances to slow the spread, to fix and find a remedy, and we can get back to some sort of normalcy in due time. But it's not surprising to hear Dr. Fauci say, need to be played in a bubble if we want football in 2020. Ah, I don't think that's going to happen. I just do not think that's going to happen. Very hard to do when you're talking about student athletes on campus and student-athletes living all over campus and playing football. In the NFL, maybe, but again, not going to happen. How about down in Florida? Florida pushing the NCAA to force name, image, and likeness legislation by July 1, 2021. Why is that date important? Because that is a clear 13 months before California and Colorado are set to sign their legislation for their own name, image, and likeness rulings in the state. We've talked about it in podcasts past, but this is huge, people, and it is happening sooner or Rather than later, student athletes are going to be able to make money based off of their name, image, and likeness. There will be clear guidelines. There will be extreme back and forth on how this looks before it's rolled out. And the reason states are pushing each other to go faster and faster and faster is because there is absolutely no way that there will be 50 different sets of rules for all 50 states. Okay. Legislation is going to have to be agreed upon. It's going to have to be sent to the House and Congress, and they're going to have to sign sweeping legislation to make sure that all states play under the same rules. So there's no recruiting advantages. So there's no opportunities for people to make money in one state and they couldn't in another state. How is this going to look? I have no idea. But the Power Five conferences sent a letter to Congress saying, here are nine guidelines that we want to see, and here are nine guidelines for how we think this should look. Will all nine of those be approved? Probably not. But what are they most interested in? Well, they want to preserve the amateur status of student-athletes. They want to ensure appropriate recruitment of prospective student-athletes, and they want to prevent illegitimate activity with respect to any third party seeking to recruit or retain student-athletes, including any third party that has a, had a prior or existing association, either formally or informally, with the school or that has had a prior or existing financial involvement with respect to college sports. This is a huge piece of legislation, and it's going to change so much about college sports. But keep in mind, okay, let's just take Jamie Newman, for example. If he were able to make money next year, which of course he will because he's going to be in the NFL, right? But if he was still at Georgia, he could not be on a local car dealer commercial and say, hi, I'm Jamie Newman, quarterback from the University of Georgia, wearing a Georgia jersey saying, come buy your car from here. I'll be here next Saturday signing autographs from two to four. Nope. They said you can't wear school logos, and you can't say that you are the quarterback for your school's team. It's just going to be, hi, I'm Jamie Newman. Come see me at the local car dealer. I'll be signing autographs from two before. You will have to know who Jamie Newman is. Clearly, he'll be wearing some sort of red and black, but he can't have the G on there. He can't have the dog on there. Can't have any logos. Can't say what school you're from. It's just off of your name, image, and likeness. How are the student athletes going to be able to manage that without representation? I don't know. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's going to get caught up in these proposals between the conferences and the government. Because let's take Joe Burrow, for example, last year. After LSU won the SEC championship to when they won the national championship, probably a span of about six weeks, Joe Burrow lit the SEC championship on fire, won the Heisman Trophy in a landslide, scored 60 damn points in two and a half quarters against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl, and then absolutely throttled Clemson in the national championship to arguably have one of the greatest seasons of all time. I guarantee you Joe Burrow could have made $1 million in endorsements off of his name, image, and likeness from the SEC championship game, To the national championship. How in the hell would Joe Burrow on his own be able to manage those types of endorsement deals? One, during the holidays, two, during bowl practice, three, while finals are going on, four, preparing for a national championship, five, without having representation. How is that even possible? What would he know to look for? What would he know not to look? For How would he know to stay away from third parties who may not have his best interest? You would absolutely have to have representation to make sure that they are a fiduciary for you, that they are sitting on the same side of the table as you, that they are looking out for your best interest. Is that an extreme outlier case? Yes. Joe Burrow, of course, being the Heisman Trophy winner and probably the most popular college football player in 2019, But that is the type of situation that has to be hashed out to make sure the student-athlete is protected. There will be plenty of more $200,000, $500,000 deals at your local stores, in your college towns, at your restaurants, social media campaigns. Surely, student-athletes may have some sort of educational program provided by their schools to make sure they know what to look out for, but you're going to have a handful of players that will make hand over fist money in a fast period of time. They need the representation. Would that representation put their amateurism in jeopardy That's what I think the conferences are going to say, and the government's going to say, look, guys, you can't do that to an 18- to 22-year-old kid. They just don't have the financial literacy or the negotiation skills or the time to make sure that they are in the best position. That's how I think. I'll be so fascinated to see how this plays out, and of course, I'll keep everybody up to breast right here on the Punt and Pass podcast. How about the Redcoat band? Georgia's Redcoat band bans, cancels Terrace theme from Gone with the Wind, and they will be replacing it with Georgia on My Mind. Terrace theme. They usually play it right there inside Sanford Stadium after a Georgia victory. Of course, it is from Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind has been brought up amid our uh, very sensitive time right now, with everything going on in our society. So the Georgia Redcoat band stepped up and said, "Nope, we will." Take that out of our repertoire and replace it with Georgia on my mind. Okay, uh, you know I, I think we're at the point now. If if enough people feel better about that than those that feel indifferent about it, uh, I guess I'm all for it. And I love Georgia on my mind. And people can sing along with it, so that could be a fun little tradition after a victory between the hedges. But um, saw that on ESPN News. No more terrace theme. Terrace theme, too. I, I'm almost certain. Very popular in the wedding scene here in the South. Almost certain of that. People proceed down the aisle to terrace theme, but um, maybe not anymore. Maybe not anymore. Had a great question come in on Twitter from a man, Andrew Converse, at Andrew Converse on Twitter. And he said he's been really enjoying punt and pass, keeping everybody up to date on what's going on in college football, and, and I completely, almost even forgot about this news tidbit that happened over the past month, and obviously, I took a break as we came out of quarantine in the great state of Georgia, but Andrew asks, what's your thoughts on the JT Daniels transfer? He wants to know, what was that all about? And Andrew, I'm glad you asked. Because I don't want to brag or anything, but I like to think that I'm pretty dialed in with Georgia football. I happen to know more about what's going on than probably a lot more people. I've got sources. I do. I've got sources. (laughs) But I refreshed Twitter one day and saw JT Daniels was transferred to Georgia, and I mean I almost fell out of my chair. I had absolutely no idea this was happening. I don't think anybody did. So what does it mean? Georgia fans extremely fired up. They got Jamie Newman to transfer. And it seemed like the coaching staff, after Jake Fromm announced that he was going to forego his senior season to head to the NFL draft, Jamie Newman was in the fold. So you know they were recruiting him with the thought that Jake was probably going to leave. And Jamie was looking as a grad transfer to leave Wake Forest and place himself in the best possible situation because we've talked about it. Look what transfer quarterbacks have done the past three seasons. Heisman, Heisman, Heisman. College football playoffs, winning national championships, playing for national championships. Joe Burrow, transfer. Kyler Murray, transfer. Baker Mayfield, transfer. Jalen Hurts, transfer. Okay, Jamie Newman, come on in. Plug and play with Todd Munkin. Look at these receivers that Georgia has coming back. Check out your offensive line. Check out the defensive talent. Boom, Jamie Newman at Georgia. Everybody fired up. He is one of the most polished returning quarterbacks in college football stats speak for themselves yes he played in the ACC yes he got throttled and looked like shit against Clemson sorry everybody did Clemson pretty damn good on defense last year but then JT Daniels comes in from USC Southern Cal five-star recruit was the starting quarterback at Southern Cal had a knee injury sat out the season Keaton Slovis takes over he plays pretty well JT Daniels, I wasn't even aware that he was looking to transfer. Decides that he's going to transfer to Georgia. Makes the decision. Says, I'm going to come to Athens. I'm a bulldog. Hey, welcome, brother. Another five-star quarterback in the fold. You know, what's most interesting about this, Andrew, is people immediately say, well, what's going to happen? Is he going to be eligible in 2020? I would guess no. I would guess no, and I think that plays into his favor. Okay, I think Todd Munkin has the conversation with him, and Kirby Smart has the conversation with him and says, look, man, this is our first year. We've got tons of talent. If you do become eligible, that's great. Clearly, Jamie Newman is ready to roll. Jamie Newman may even be a better fit for what George is looking to do in 2020 than what JT Daniels is. JT Daniels is still nursing that knee injury as well. But these coaches probably told JT, dude, if you're not eligible, you can still practice. You can still learn. You can grasp this offense and know it like the back of your hand." So in 2021, you hit the ground running. You're in the Heisman conversation. We've got tons of returning talent. George's roster is so loaded. And he probably sitting there and going, sounds good to me. That's a win-win. If he's eligible, all good. If he's ineligible, maybe even better. But I think he saw the opportunity, and and I think he knows what type of talent that Georgia has. And I think he completely understands the coaches that are at Georgia now and how they can best situate him to move on to the next level. I think that's why he came to Georgia. I'm fired up for him. I I hope to meet him. I'm sure Murray will be able to meet him before I do. But there's no doubt that this was a long-term move for JT Daniels and probably a pretty damn smart one at that. I don't think he's going to be eligible. I really don't. He very well may be because of how crazy everything is right now. The NCAA may just open up the floodgates and say, you know what, with coronavirus and with the new rules and with the six-week practice plan and with people moving all over the place, let him be eligible. But if he isn't, I think it plays into his favor even more. What it should go to show you is that the Georgia coaching staff is not stopping at anything. They're still recruiting at a very high level. They are adapting to what is going on right now, and they're making it happen. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I can firmly say that 2020, the Georgia Bulldog football team, it's up to the coaches. I have never seen a roster so loaded with talent at Georgia. Offensively, defensively, special teams. Those guys are going to be ready to play. Well, the coaches put them in the best position to play fast and physical and let loose on Saturdays to win a ton of football games, win an SEC championship, Go to the college football playoff and play for another national championship. It's up to the coaches. I firmly believe that. Because if you can't get that roster to play, time to look in the mirror. And good news, I think Georgia's in a great spot. I really do. Finally, we're looking forward to the fall. We are looking forward to football. We're talking about it. And I have a great feeling that even more news storylines and headlines forward-looking to actual on-the-field happenings will continue to roll out as coaches and as players are on campus. And you can tune in right here on Punt and Pass the best college football podcast in the nation. There's absolutely no doubt about it. We are over 1 million downloads. We have a revamped website, puntandpass.com, coming out soon. We will have the merchandise shop there for you. We will have a blog that I will add to daily. It will have all of our videos and all of our social media and all of our podcast distribution pages right there on it. Be sure to follow us on social media, at puntandpass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler, Aaron Murray, congratulations one more time to you, my man, brand new dad. Maddox Robert Murray, brand new punt and pass listener. We love you, buddy. Congratulations to you and Sharon, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. See you.